0: Welcome to Public Health Out Loud, Public Health for the Public Hi, I'm Dr. Jim McDonald, Medical Director, Rhode Island Department of Health.
1: And I'm Dr. Phil Chan. Welcome, everyone.
0: Dr. Chan, good to hang out with you again today. I I heard from one of our listeners, so I understand Hannah Gallagher from San Jose, California, listens to us, a student at Gordon College. So it's just fun to hear about people who like listening to the podcast. So it's great that listeners reach out to us once in a while and say hi. So today we're going to talk a little bit about Omicron variant. Is is Omicron ominous? That's one of the things we're going to talk about today. We have Dr. King from the Rhode Island State Health Lab with us today. Hey, Dr. King, how are you today? Hello, Dr. McDonald. Hello, Dr. Chan. Dr. King, it's good to have you back with us. Can you remind us a little bit about yourself and and what you do? I know you've been on the podcast before, but it's good to have you back in today. Just remind our listeners who you are.
2: Sure. I'm um, Dr. Eva King. I lead the State Health Laboratories. And in this role, I've uh, certainly been uh, part of the COVID-19 response of the state, but we have many other functions um, in our laboratories.
1: Thank you, Dr. King. I do want to uh, welcome you to today's podcast. And uh, to our listeners, you know, Dr. King is really one of those folks behind the scenes that has really led the statewide response and been one of those key people and uh, I'll speak personally, I've gained such a deeper appreciation for the role of the State Health Lab, especially during the pandemic. But Dr. King, let me ask you this, the role of the State Health Lab, uh, I think, you know, many of us have come to appreciate what you do. Tell us exactly uh, during the pandemic, what it's been like, what the State Health Lab has done, what the role the State Health Lab has uh, fulfilled as we've uh, progressed through the pandemic here.
2: our role has been certainly evolving at the very beginning of the pandemic. I like to remind people that we are the laboratory that found the first case in Rhode Island on February 29th, uh, 2020, um, and as well as many subsequent cases in Rhode Island as we were the only provider of uh, testing services for COVID-19 specifically. That is the role of public health laboratories in general and um, it was ours as well. At the time, there was not a whole lot of tests available and we um, were able to transfer the testing methodology from the CDC, imperfect as it was at the time, um, and um, use it uh, quickly um, to detect the very first few cases in Rhode Island. We continue to provide a substantial share of uh, testing services uh, for several months. It has been a difficult process since that was um, not quite enough for the entire state um, and mostly uh, provided it for long-term um, care services at the time or facilities at the time. We continue with diagnostic services for COVID-19 for state-run um, facilities mostly, but our world has evolved largely to really focus on surveillance and uh, variant surveillance in particular. So about uh, this time last year was when we first started hearing about variants. At the time, it was b 117 or what has been uh, later renamed the Alpha variant, which seemed ominous at the time, Uh, but we've we've seen it come and go and um, we are now uh, still at the center of surveillance for variants um, in, in our laboratory and supplying data from our laboratory and other partner laboratories on where we are in terms of uh, variant composition in Rhode Island.
0: So, so Dr. King, we've heard all about different types of COVID-19 testing, the PCR testing, the antigen testing, there's antibody testing. Can you talk a little bit about what are the different types of testing and like, you know, just a little bit about what's more reliable, what's the best test to do?
1: So,
2: laboratories tend to favor tests that are both uh, sensitive and also um, can, can find and reliable. Um, so, that's um, something that we uh, tend to favor in our practice. But in reality, there's all different tests that serve different purposes. So, the, the gold standard for the detection of um, COVID 19 and other viruses. Um, is uh, PCR testing, which is really a a category of tests that we use to detect that genetic uh, material that we were just talking about that that can mutate over time. Uh, These tests are uh, very good at picking up very small quantities of RNA. So they can even at the beginning stages of the infection, be able to diagnose someone with uh, uh, the presence of the virus. There are other tests that serve a, a different purpose and they're more um, useful when uh, people have a lot of virus circulating in their, in their system. And those antigen tests are uh, have the advantage of being quick and being able to use in many settings point of care settings, meaning much closer to the to the patient and with, uh, while they wait. Um, and not having to transport them to the laboratory. Um, So um, that speed and ease of use is is an advantage for antigen tests. And also many of the rapid tests that we're hearing about, those are antigen tests. We also had great hopes for antibody tests, uh, uh, serology tests. Um, At the beginning of the pandemic, they were seen as Uh, something that would uh, prove uh, individuals' immunity. And as soon as someone has antibodies, they would be able to uh, walk around us uh, without any precautions. That turned out to be overly optimistic. The serology tests are still with us um, and um, are available, but mostly useful for detecting previous exposure and not necessarily... Um, equating with um, immunity. There are other uh, possible use of antibody tests that we might still see. Uh, for example, assessing um, seroconversion after vaccinations. That's something that we really don't do just yet, but could envision doing in the future. Or kind of pre-selecting the best candidates for um, MAP treatments. That would be another uh, potential use that we have not yet uh, started.
1: Thank you, Dr. King. Uh, yeah, testing certainly evolved during the pandemic. Let me ask you this uh, crazy question here, uh, something that we've talked about, but people are actually testing sewage for COVID-19. What's that all about? And is Rhode Island actually doing that?
2: Yes, we actually are doing this. So we prefer the term wastewater um, rather than sewage, even though they are um, obviously related. And um, Wastewater testing for COVID and potentially other uh, infectious um, agents is something that has taken hold, surprisingly to some, including myself. Um, and there's a lot of uh, funding available and public health laboratories throughout uh, the nation are putting these testing, new testing programs in place. Uh, we have done it ourselves in Rhode Island we have um, started with a few pilot projects in various communities. Uh, what it uh, really consists of is um, uh, picking up um, wastewater samples from um, generally wastewater treatment plants. For example, in uh, Rhode Island in Providence, we have, uh, uh, we have Narragansett Bay Commission that serves much of the state and certainly the entire city of Providence and they have these massive wastewater treatment plants. Well, we have been collecting um, samples uh, from these plants and testing them here at the state health Is detecting um, COVID-19 virus um, RNA, just like the clinical tests do. But in this case, what we are seeing is that we are pulling samples from multiple individuals. So um, individuals shed the virus in their stools and that once this um, enters the wastewater stream, it gets uh, pulled together. So we are actually getting a sense of how much virus is circulating in a given community without having to test all individuals that contribute to that what's called a watershed, um, a shed.
0: Yeah, and Dr. King, let's just talk a little bit about variants and how we figure out what a variant is. And I think that leads to whole genomic sequencing or whole genomic testing. I think people hear about that. But, but what exactly is that and how is that helpful to us?
2: Well, whether it's helpful, I think that's a matter of debate. Uh, however, it is a, a fact of life that uh, viruses mutate very quickly and form these um, forms that are... Um, Different from the original um, virus that started in uh, Wuhan, China. So that still um, has, uh, it uh, exists as a reference sequence, that uh, virus from Wuhan. And we're comparing all subsequent um, additions of this virus to that reference uh, sequence. So, of course, we are now on Omicron, and we have seen that this battle of the variants for most of 2021, um, but we, and some certainly seem worse than others. But in general, what it involves is sequencing or really decoding the RNA of the virus and comparing it to this original sequence to see how it has changed to the original sequence and all the subsequent um, Additions of that variant. So some some variants we have detected really did not take hold in our state to any large extent. We have detected them and seen them and uh, recorded their existence, but they really did not take over quite as much as Delta has. We had much more of a variety before Delta. Once Delta took over, it was almost entirely uh, single variants. And of course, now we are detecting uh, first cases of Omicron in Rhode Island.
1: Yeah, thank you, Dr. King. And you know, the way that I think about variants, right, are that they're, you know, you have the genetic material of a virus, and you get these mutations within, you know, these single mutations within the genetic material that uh, creates a, a variation, right, of the original strain and subsequent strains, and sometimes those mutations. Uh, allow the virus to adapt. And so as we talk about this, it's, you know, these variants, these mutations are allowing uh, the virus, in this case, SARS-CoV-2, to adapt to things like increased uh, transmission, being, you know, more infectious uh, to a person. It's it's allowing it to overcome some of the vaccines that we've developed. It's allowing it to overcome some of the treatments that we've developed.
0: It, I'd like to just talk about Delta variant, if you don't mind. What was the experience in your state health lab tracking the Delta variant? You know, just tell us a little bit about that, if you don't mind. Yes,
2: absolutely. So we track variants. We don't track any particular variants. We track that our um, surveillance system is designed to give us a picture of what variants are circulating in Rhode Island. So whether it's 100% Delta or a composition of several different variants at any given time, we're looking, we are Collecting um, clinical samples, positive uh, PCR samples from um, area hospitals and commercial laboratories that um, do uh, testing for the state testing sites and long term care facilities uh, to really get a snapshot of what it is. So, we don't test every single positive uh, with this case volume that we have right now. That would not be possible or necessary for us to do so. But we, because we are taking care to select a representative sample of these positives, we feel we have a good uh, understanding of what is circulating um, in the state. So um, before Delta, there was much more of a variety of variants in Rhode Island coming from kind of all over the world, really. Some as uh, close as New York and some as far as uh, Brazil and South America. Um, eventually they, um, they transmit in Rhode Island and form um, this mosaic of variants. Of, of Once Delta took over, it was really a fairly dramatic picture um, of how quickly that variant took over and completely dominated the scene in Rhode Island and um, the entire um, country.
1: Yeah, thank you, Dr. King. And actually, I was going to bring that up to you. Uh, you know, you mentioned uh, how quickly Delta dominated. Well, I'm looking at the data. You know, we're recording this a week of December 20th here. Uh, three weeks ago, Omicron was you know less than a couple percent. Uh, two weeks ago, it was uh, t- you know 10 to 12 percent. And the CDC released data this week, the week of December 20th. Uh, that for the end of the previous week here, uh, you know, 70 you know, plus percent of all variants are Omicron in the U.S. So that surprised even me, actually, mm. uh, that Omicron has so rapidly risen to become the dominant variant. I mean, what does that uh, does that surprise you? And and what do you think about that? And how does that compare to Delta?
2: Once we have heard about the characteristics of um, Omicron and its increased transmissibility, I think we did expect that it was going to be very quickly taking over because it has this um, advantage over the Delta variant that it transmits so much quicker um, as a result of this constellation of uh, um, mutations that it, that it presents. And this has been seen in other countries. The speed of, of this, which we have uh, not quite seen in Rhode Island just yet, but it, are convinced it's a matter of time. As a reminder, we ha- our data here in Rhode Island um, is really two weeks after, um, you know, we're we getting a snapshot of two weeks after, um, you know, the-, the actual detection has happened. So uh, this is still to come. We do fully expect that it's going to take over here very quickly. And we go from, you know, a few cases to, uh, we will probably see. Uh, a percentage in the next uh, round of data that we um, going to uh, process here in our partner laboratories for sequencing. So we fully expect that this will completely take over. However, we have had some surprises. So we, we ju- with the speed that we have observed elsewhere, um, obviously we expect the same to happen in Rhode Island. Um, how this will play out over long term, that is unknown, whether it will persist or whether there will be some resurgence of of, uh, previous ones, um, such as Delta, that's the the most likely one. So we're not prejudging the outcomes, but certainly uh, expect Omicron to take over here in Rhode Island quickly.
0: Yeah, and Dr. King, you know, I think it'd be fun to talk a little bit about how we monitor for Omicron, because I think I think it's just important to make this process really transparent. Like we don't look for Omicron. We look for variants. In other words, we're looking for everything. It just, we expect Omicron to just quite frankly turn up. I mean, just sort of like we weren't looking for Delta. We were looking for everything and it just showed up. In other words, we're getting a lot of specimens, but that's really how our process works, isn't it? We just, we look for everything and this is what happens to show up.
2: Yes, absolutely. Which makes us also prepared for any changes. Um, Actually with the. With Delta variant um, being so dominant for a few months, there was really actually very little interest and discussion on the variant simply because there was one dominant variant. So really, we got very quickly got to the point in a matter of weeks uh, to the point where there was no um, mention of other variants simply because Delta was the only one around. And if you had COVID, essentially you had Delta. Uh, that may happen and is likely to happen with Omicron, but we, even if Omicron was to take over completely, which is uh, certainly possible, if not likely, we will still be, um, conducting our variant surveillance to be ready for anything else that might emerge. Uh, and I think that's, um, important to keep in mind that we don't pull back when there is, um, some dominance and, uh, a loss of interest on the outside. We don't pull back, we don't um, step back and stop looking because uh, there is always a possibility of a new variant. And when it happens, it happens very quickly. And these systems have been put in place over several months, but they really are maintained very faithfully. Um, And uh, we think our submitting laboratories, um, um, especially Dominion and um, is like clinical for their faithful submissions every single week because that is what has been uh, keeping us on our toes, and we were ready for Omicron to 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 come and to find it very quickly, which we have uh, this week. Uh, in particular, we have found we have sequenced um, one of the first few cases in our laboratory.
1: Dr. King, let me ask you this. You brought this up about how quickly the variants emerge. Let's talk about the timing of genetic surveillance here. I, you know, in my inbox, I'm just seeing that we get the fourth case now of Omicron identified here in the state of Rhode Island. And I know that the first case was, uh, you know, it took a couple of weeks. But given that these variants are evolving, potentially spreading, as you mentioned, Delta, Omicron, uh, talk to us about how long it takes. Just for the average listener out there, I mean... How long does it actually take till we find, identify a, a circulating variant from when someone gets sick or when the, the specimen's collected, someone's tested?
2: Right. I've, um, as I've mentioned, we are, um, that's probably the biggest concern um, about variant surveillance, that it's not real time. While well, PCR testing um, is published daily, and we, we've seen the number of cases Uh, in more or less real time, meaning um, several days frame, there is actually a a fairly long path for this positive to be identified as one variant or another. And it's not for the lack of trying, it's just a a lengthy process that involves um, receiving uh, that positive from one of the uh, testing laboratories. Uh, So the laboratories have to do uh, quite a bit of work to to store those positives, select the ones that are actually suitable for sequencing. That's a key key part that really cannot be bypassed. So in other words, we cannot use specimens that were tested by antigen tests. Uh, they really do not generate anything that we can use for sequencing. So it has to be a PCR test and there has to be enough of the virus in that specimen in that transport uh, media to, um, to be uh, good enough for sequencing or or, um, large enough concentration for sequencing. That is not specific to our laboratory that is done in all sequencing laboratories that same way. And most of the labs that run it, uh, run uh, that whole uh, sequencing uh, step-by-step methodology on a weekly basis because it takes several days for it to, uh, to be completed. Um, so as a result, this is when, when we're looking at variant identification, it's not from yesterday, but it's most likely from between a week and two weeks ago.
0: Yeah, Dr. King, thank you so much for, for that. And I think I wanna to get to you, Dr. Chen. Now, you're an infectious disease expert. And so I think we have to ask this question, is Omicron gonna be an ominous uh, threat to the United States? And, and part of why I'm asking that is like, where are we on severity of disease? And what do we think about treatment options like monoclonal antibodies and vaccine efficacy? That's a lot to throw at you, but what are your thoughts on those questions?
1: Yeah, so I think a couple things. Uh, the first is I think it's clear that Omicron is more infectious, and I think as we, you know, just take our state as an example, right? We had widespread Delta, you know, as of three weeks ago, four weeks ago, and the Omicron has outcompeted Delta. So just let that sink in for a second. Uh, Because Omicron is so much more infectious, at least double, uh, it's literally outcompeted Delta in our state at a time when Delta was really widespread itself. And I think, Dr. McDonald, you hit on the big questions. The big questions being, well, does it cause more severe disease and do vaccines and other treatments work? You know, the severity of disease is something that there's conflicting data on. Some early reports suggest uh, that hospitalization, severe disease was less, However, it's been difficult to analyze that, for example, if you take a country like South Africa, which has had multiple peaks, uh, as well as vaccinations is, you know, being, being uh, accessible there, is that there's a degree of natural immunity, of course, and vaccinations in the population. And so it's unclear if you're looking at things like hospitalizations, uh, if that's the result of the, the fact that Omicron is less severe, or the fact that the population already has some degree of natural immunity and or vaccination so to get at severity it's been a little bit difficult and there's been conflicting reports now some out of the uk that suggests that it's just as severe um as delta etc so i think we're still waiting on that uh, i'm going to be a little bit optimistic and say i think that the bulk of data suggests that it may be less severe uh and i'm also reminded of course over time that omicron uh that uh, omicron And SARS-CoV-2 in general should evolve to be less severe because that's the evolutionary benefit, certainly to the virus. And to your point about vaccinations and just, you know, if if, uh, listeners take one thing away about what we should do, it's really get a booster shot. There's been good data coming out now that shows that, uh, for example, the Pfizer, you know, Pfizer vaccine, 30, 35 percent effective after two doses, But that booster shot really improves the the effectiveness of vaccines and protection up to 70, 75%. So we know the boosters work, really want to encourage people to get boosters. And I do want to leave folks as well as an optimistic note. And I heard Dr. Fauci say this today, and I I, I kind of agree with him. I'm hoping that after this current Omicron surge, that uh, this will confer enough natural immunity Uh, in addition to vaccination with the mRNA vaccines, that we will have, after the surge, a significant degree of herd immunity. And hopefully we will not see surges like that in the future. So I'm gonna be optimistic, Dr. McDonald. As you know, what we uh, have learned from this pandemic is to expect the unexpected, but uh, you know, it's the holidays. Let's be optimistic.
0: You know, it is the holiday, so it's kind of interesting, like with your eggnog, if you wouldn't mind grabbing a mask and a booster, that would just make my day, uh, which I think is important. I want to thank Dr. King. It's been, it's been great having Dr. King talk about, you know, the variant. And I think, you know, the jury's still out on whether Omicron is going to be ominous or not. I think it, it's, it's certainly a big threat, um, but it does seem ominous at the moment. One of our traditions of public health a lot is to go to Dr. Chan for the final word. Dr. Chan, what's the final word today?
1: great thank you dr mcdonald and i do want to acknowledge and thank dr king uh both for being on today and for all your hard work you and your colleagues over at the state health lab really some heroes behind the scenes that have uh helped us address but in closing i do want to leave uh listeners with a moment of zen to consider throughout the rest of your day and here it is from confucius a chinese philosopher it does not matter how slowly you go as long as you do not stop thank you all and be well I
0: want to thank Stephanie Menders, our executive producer, and I want to thank Carol Stone, our technical director. I'm Dr. Jim McDonald. Have a good and keep up the great.